power on. This is the day you have trained for. The day you have studied for. Utilize your superior skills. Your superior intelligence. Sit down, Rodent! Oh, Oh, you were one. Don't make me hurt you. Learn to defeat your ruthless enemy, Steve of Hackensack. Ryan, you're gonna get root. Shut up, quadruped. Now entering the gaming grid. The latest gaming news, reviews, and retro culture, as only the man of tomorrow can deliver. And here is your host, Brian Sovereign. One of the top 200 podcast tech podcasts, I guess I should say in Hong Kong, baby. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And I have no idea why, <laughs> or at least that's according to, uh, uh, to Apple's statistics. Not that I care much about Apple or those statistics, but there you go. Uh, <laughs> it's just a weird thing. I, I, I started getting emails and notifications uh, from people saying, Hey, you're ranking in uh, Apple podcasts. You know, we'd like to talk to you, blah, blah, blah. And Mind blowing, but regardless, we're not here to talk about that. We are here for another sovereign top eight, continuing a series that had been going throughout 2020. And we are going to talk about what is arguably, uh, even though a lot of the consoles that we have been talking about. So this is basically a gaming grid special. If you didn't already catch that. Uh, a lot of the consoles we've been talking about lately, like the original Xbox, the Sega Saturn, and so on, could be argued to be quantum leaps, or at least major leaps in available technologies, and very much redefining what a console could do. I would argue that, and, and we made this point when we talked about the original Xbox, the OG Xbox, that the original Xbox was really, really only appreciated any success because the Sega Dreamcast, which is what we're doing a top eight here for, is because the Sega Dreamcast uh, had been considered by Sega to be a failure. And they, you know, Microsoft picked up all of those French or many anyway of those franchises and games that were, you know, originally probably would have been sequels released, say, on the Dreamcast, right? Like Jet Set Radio, Future, and so on. Um, you know, they ended up on the Xbox. Now, a lot of them certainly also ended up in, as well as uh, uh, re-releases or even remakes of, of a type, would end up on the GameCube and PlayStation 2 as well. But I think the Xbox specifically, minus Halo, really, really, really did well because of a lot of what would ultimately be Dreamcast sequels being available on that console. And that console, of course, really I mean, it was an innovative console and we talked about that, but ultimately it was just, I mean, the reason the thing was such a Hulk was so fucking big was because it was just a little PC, you know, it wasn't even, and, and you know, what's a computer and what's not isn't everything. Yeah. I mean, we could get into that, but really it was, it was PC parts tossed into something that looked like a console, right? It was the steam machine before steam machines were a thing. Uh, and where are even those? But the Dreamcast, on the other hand, was a true innovation. And I have said many times that I wouldn't argue against it being called the greatest console of all time, just on feature set alone. Uh, and also on feature set, the most innovative with some things done on it that have yet to be really replicated uh, in any way. And in fact, it's one of those consoles, and this is true for really actually both the Saturn and the Dreamcast. It's one of those consoles where it really just never felt right to emulate because there's so many like little things about it. And it's so many little Sega things about it that, that it just, you, it feels like you, you want the original hardware. I mean, now 
for the Dreamcast, which of course originally came out in Japan in 1998, would come out on the what was considered at the time to be the biggest day in video game history. Came out on September 9th, 1999 in the United States. So it was 9999, right? Uh, that was a really clever marketing strategy, I have to admit. I mean, I've never forgotten it. You know, had the amazing tagline of, shh, it's thinking. Remember that? <laughs> Maybe I'll clip that in at the beginning of this. But uh, yeah, I mean, and, and it only had, you know, from 98, basically it ran until 2001, part of the sixth generation of uh, gaming consoles, which of course that I would argue is the last great generation of of, uh, you know, home consoles anyway, handheld wise, different story. Um, you know, because the Vita and the 3ds, I mean, are just tanks, you know, as, as far as uh, consoles go. And I mean, arguments could be made that those are in many ways. I mean, especially when you get into homebrew, they become the greatest consoles ever made, like perhaps even flat out, but you know, a lot of that's subjective. Sure. But the feature set for the dreamcast is far from a subjective metric. Um, and the game list is actually really good. Uh, and a lot of very experimental, uh, games on it, but regardless of innovative features and a lot of great games and a starting price back at nine, nine 99 for selling for $199, which is crazy to consider, you know, a top tier console being sold for that low a price. Um, it just, it didn't happen. The sales weren't there, uh, depending upon region, but really just the sales weren't there. Sega could not recoup the law. I mean, Sega had basically, I think a lot of people want to argue that they got lucky with the Genesis. I don't know that they got lucky. Um, they, they just capitalized on a demographic that Nintendo wasn't exactly interested in appeasing, uh, or appealing to. And so I don't see that as luck. I think that their marketing, the attitude around what Sega was doing was top notch. Um, I do think that they, I mean, you know, there were some failed business moves. I'm not going to say that, or I'm not going to deny that I should say, but regardless, the dreamcast is an absolutely to this day, a viable system. And there are a lot of games that were released for the dreamcast that have never been re-released ever. And it seems an odd omission that in 2019, which would have been, you know, for America, the 20th anniversary uh, of the Dreamcast, that in, and, and I think it was basically in September um, of, of 2019 that we got the Genesis Mini, right? It's strange. Like, why not do the Dreamcast Mini? You had all the nostalgia, all the right dates lined up for it. And hell, you probably could have sold the thing. I mean, just, just to keep with the, you know, with the nine, 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 right. You probably could have sold the thing for 99 bucks and people would have bought it. Uh, especially if you included a VMU, you know, like, like a, a real controller and all this other stuff. I mean, that, that could have been some okay money, I would think for Sega. And, and it makes less sense when you look at the fact that they've done like mini consoles of the Astro six or like the mini game gear that they did, which was just fucking pointless, but they put money into this crap and I, I'm, I'm baffled that, that they didn't take advantage because again, and, and as you'll see, when we get into this top eight, um, there are a lot of games that have just, they've never seen the light of day anywhere else. Uh, and they are games that many you know, gamers that were at least alive at the time, very, very well. Remember, very fondly remember. Um, I mean, yeah, sure. Jet grind radio or jet set radio, depending upon what you want to call it has been released, re-released fucking everywhere for some reason. Future hasn't its sequel, but of course that was for the OG Xbox, but, but there are plenty of games that have just never been, uh, re-released or, you know, covered again. Uh, that were available for the system. And, and like I say, you'll see that as we get into it. So if I were to talk about though, if you were to ask me why, why, why did the dreamcast ultimately fail? What, what was it? If the hardware was fine, if the game library was good enough, you know, and there's all these wild innovations that it had, why did it fail? Well, partly I'll say this. It, like the Saturn, much of the ideas involved were ahead of their time. 
Now, if you're a PC gamer, you already are, have been on top of anything that any console has ever put out. You were on top of it back in 1993. Okay. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> so, because I mean, one of the major features that, that the Dreamcast, you know, really touted, I mean, to the point that they actually did a deal with Microsoft, right? Remember Windows CE was basically going to run on, or was basically running on Dreamcast. And I mean, that didn't necessarily go anywhere, but Dreamcast was going to pick up from where the Saturn left off with having a web browser and all this. Uh, and then you had Fantasy Star Online, right? which was, you know, massive multiplayer. I mean, that's before World of Warcraft dropped. Uh, and, you know, that that was that was a big deal. That was an absolute innovation uh, as far as consoles go. You know, again, PC gaming, eh, whatever. You know, people are playing Ultima. Don't worry about it. But for consoles, that was, that was insane. Um, so despite all that, what was really, what was the recipe for, uh, for disaster here? Well, I think that, you could argue that there just weren't enough uh, big games available for it. And there might be some truth in that, but you know, and we could get into, well, you know, the, the thing is, is that when the PlayStation two came along, like that could do 20 million, uh, uh, you know, independent polygons per second, right. Or whatever, you know, whatever their numbers are, what, what was it? The, uh, the emotion engine and the graphics synthesizer processors that are chips that, you know, that, that, that Sony spent, preposterous amounts of money on, you know, and because, well, the Dreamcast could, uh, could only do three to 6 million and, you know, 20 million is just more. No, I, I really, I don't think that's it. Uh, you know, graphics are one thing and certainly at the time, like graphics still really mattered. Um, you know, if you could make a giant leap in that, I, I wouldn't argue that that's where, you know, that that's why, oh, well, the Dreamcast just didn't look pretty enough. I mean, that's, that's nonsense, right? Because the GameCube certainly wasn't, you know, powering at those levels either. And it did very well for itself. The Xbox, you could get into similar territory. Okay. And similar arguments around that. I think that Sega, while they did appreciate their history. Okay. And I've, I've had interviews with Bernie Stoller, who was the head of Sega of America at the time, you know, and, and, and I've talked about this. Um, and he would talk about varying missteps, you know, that, that say, you know, would come down and you can even see this, I think now in documentaries that have been made about it, where he feels that there are missteps being made by Sega of Japan. Um, I think their biggest flaw was that there was no real backwards compatibility with frankly, tremendous games that were available, uh, for the Sega Saturn. The PlayStation two had two key elements going for it. And one of the, one of them is makes it made it a no brainer to buy. The most important one was the fact that it was a DVD player at a time when nobody, when not many people anyway, had DVD players and DVD players on the regular would cost about 300 bucks just for a DVD player. Now you're getting a DVD player and a PlayStation two. And here's the key and a PlayStation one. Right. Because, you know, at the time when the PlayStation two came out, everybody was still talking about final fantasy seven or, you know, what, whatever big game, you know, that, that would end up, I mean, and we did the, the top eight for the Sony PlayStation. So, you, you know, you know what that score looks like. There's plenty to be had. I mean, some of the weirdest and wildest and most beautiful games ever made. And you were able to play those as well, especially if, I don't know, maybe you'd, uh, went with Nintendo during the fifth generation and you bought an N64 and you never got the time to get into PlayStation games. Well, when you bought a PlayStation two, you got a DVD player, a PlayStation two and a PlayStation one effectively. Dreamcast, yes, it had that $199 price tag that was nice, but it did not, there wasn't enough on offer. And I mean, I would argue the GameCube fell prey very much to the same thing. Um, just Nintendo's, you know, franchises, their IP stands so strong that it moves units on its own. Um, I mean, and, and <laughs> like, you know, just look at what happened. I mean, they created the entire fucking mini console industry, uh, you know, just on that strength um, alone. So ultimately I think that's, you know, as again, as wild as some of the stuff, I mean, you know, you got to consider that while, okay, the dreamcast, you know, didn't also play Saturn games. It did have the VMU, which was pretty cute with the VMU. So to understand this, and I think this is probably the best feature that the dreamcast had. The VMU was a met was the memory card. Remember you used to have the used, used to have to use those. It was a memory card that you jammed into the controller. Okay. There's rumble packs that you could put in the controller as well. And even a microphone, if you were playing C man, Oh, we might talk about that anyway. Uh, 
So it was a memory card, but it had a screen on it. And that screen actually could show through uh, on a little window on the controller itself. And this, you could play mini games on it, um, or it could act as a second screen, similar to what uh, like GameCube would do with the GBA link. Uh, but maybe to, I mean, not to the point where you could interact with it, with the game so much by using a GBA in the case of the GameCube, but it was a very similar scenario. Uh, and so you had a second screen that could prompt certain things or uh, somewhat interact or respond to the action going on on the big screen or, and I mean, this is the part that I think other people don't really remember today. And that is like your memory card whatever console it happened to be for, if it was the memory card for the PlayStation one, for the PlayStation two, for uh, your GameCube even, or for uh, your, well, Saturn's didn't have memory cards, but for your dreamcast or something like that. I mean, you carried that thing around. Like that was your badge of honor. You know, whatever was on that memory card was like, this is what you had achieved. This is what you had done. I mean, for, you know, if you were young enough, you could easily argue everything that fucking mattered to you was on that memory card. I mean, that, that was, you know, that was the Jew gold around the neck, baby. And so to have that, so you were always, you know, if you're like me, you were always carrying around your memory card. And then for that memory card, I think Sega picked up on this for that memory card to actually be a mini console. Cause it actually had little buttons on it. So you could navigate and look at what's on your memory card for one. I mean, that's a nice little feature. Like I said, you know, you're always, thinking about, oh, what's the next adventure that I'm going to get to, you know, when I get home from school or something like that. Um, you know, there was that aspect to it, but then there were some games like what I consider to be one of, if not the greatest uh, RPG of all time, that being Skies of Arcadia. With games like Skies of Arcadia, you could actually play mini games that would help advance you in the main game on the Dreamcast on your VMU. Insane. So in some ways it was two consoles in one, in some ways. Now, a lot of developers didn't take advantage of the VMU. That might be why that wasn't as, as big of a deal, uh, because it wasn't long into the life of the Dreamcast. It's a very short life that instead even Sega was selling, you know, what they called 4X memory cards, meaning that they were memory cards that they got rid of the screen and they just put a ton more storage onto it. Um, you know, and it had four times the storage of what your average VMU uh, would have. And I think that's a pity because it was, it was such a brilliant idea. And if Sega had some kind of Pokemon game at the time, and I know there were, there were games in that vein that existed on the, on the Dreamcast, but if they had some kind of property like Pokemon, um, or if they had bought into the, the brilliant thing that they could have done is if they made a deal with Enix to, you know, to bring in uh, the Dragon Quest series uh, and they could have done like little slime games on the VMU uh, that would have really put them over the top. So I'm saying all of this to suggest that the real reason that I think that, and there's never just one, but the real reason that the Dreamcast failed. Uh, I mean, yes, there's, they didn't make enough money off of the previous generation with the Saturn and they had to rush into the Dreamcast. But ultimately it came down to is just there wasn't enough on offer in comparison to the PlayStation 2. And all I mean by that isn't the games, isn't the hardware, isn't the graphics. It's the fact that the PlayStation 2 was basically three things in one. You know, it was the DVD player, it was the PlayStation 2, it was the PlayStation 1. If Dreamcast, who knows? History could have been very different if the Dreamcast could even play a Saturn game, but it couldn't. Um, and Sega did not take advantage of a lot of re-releases, really. I mean, there were some, but they didn't do a lot of re-releases uh, for the Dreamcast, which might have helped stave that. Certainly Nintendo would engage in that uh, kind of heavily with uh, the GameCube and certainly with the Wii. But regardless, that's where I think the failure happened. And again, it is sad because it is a system like I said, where there are games there that to this day are nowhere else. Fortunately, it's actually, uh, you know, getting a, a Dreamcast today and getting to play off of original hardware, more or less, is an incredibly attractive pop proposition, you know, uh, in 2020 and going into 2021. That is largely due to, in my opinion, to Terra Onion. Uh, Terra Onion, of course, came out with their mode which is the multi, uh, multi-system optical disc emulator or multi-console. 
And this, the mode is one board that works in multiple consoles and instantly recognizes what console it's in and then emulates the optical disk drive, uh, on the console and lets you just slap in an SD card or, you know, even an SSD, whatever your USB stick, whatever, uh, and play the games directly off of that. So we talked about this because I got my hands on one of these. I was one of the original uh, backers. Oh, it's not really a backer. I mean, you pre-ordered, but I was one of the original pre-orders, waited months to get my hands on it uh, for the mode. And I got it specifically because I wanted to deal with the Saturn. There is a part of me that really wants to get my hands on another one and do a Dreamcast. I don't want to switch it between systems because I just love having that crisp look you know, of the console. And I don't want to have to keep opening them up and all, and all that crap. Uh, so anyway, um, that is an incredibly attractive proposition because, you know, you could just pop however many, you know, Dreamcast games you want. And this will automate, I mean, the VMU works beautifully. Uh, you know, all the controllers, all the accessories you can imagine work beautifully. Good luck getting a microphone <laughs> for a microphone uh, adapter for, uh, um, you know, for the, the Dreamcast controller so that you can play uh, some of the very few games that allowed for the microphone accessory. Uh, but, you know, you can do it and you can do it very well and you don't have to worry about the, you know, about the, the laser or the optical disc drive ultimately going bad. Um, so it's a worthwhile thing to do. And with that, I really want to go ahead and get into the games um, I feel like I've talked about the Dreamcast so many times in Sovereign Tech's history that, you know, I don't think we need to get in too much of the technicals around it. Um, I mean, we mentioned some of the innovation, of course, online play uh, was, again, it wasn't the first, but it definitely took it to new heights um, of what was possible. Uh, you know, the, the multitude of controllers, I mean, like, yeah, the fishing rod controller, uh, the light gun controller, of course, you know, Dreamcast would be the home of house of the dead too. Uh, certainly, uh, I mean, just a fantastic tons of fun, albeit short, but tons of fun game. Um, you know, and, and the, the Dreamcast controller itself was incredibly modular. Uh, you had the rumble pack that could attach to it. Of course, then you had the VMU, the VMU was so cool, uh, as we just talked about and, um, even, you know, even little things like playing CDs on it was, was kind of wild. It would put on a nice little light show. Uh, it didn't have the different, um, you know, like graphic equalizer effects, kind of like the PlayStation one had, uh, but it was certainly a lot more exciting than playing CDs on the PlayStation two. I'll say that. Uh, but it, you know, it had some interesting effects. It wasn't as cool as playing CDs on the Saturn that that's cool. Granted, you can't really do that. Um, I guess, unless you turned a CD into an ISO, which you could do, uh, or, or a bin Q, uh, you know, and played it on the mode. I was going to say on a mode, you can't really play a CD because it rips out the, the optical disc, but, or the, the disc drive, but, um, yeah, it, it put on a nice little light show when you do that. I, I would do that a lot. Actually. I can remember many, many times playing kiss alive three on my dreamcast. Uh, that, that was, yeah, that was fun. Uh, I mean, something, you know, I will talk a little bit of history. Um, I mean, I was, in fact, it, it's kind of funny. So at the time when, uh, when I got my Dreamcast, uh, this is just before I had gone into the military. Um, I had gotten it a little bit later in its life. I didn't know that it was canceled when I got it, but I got it a little bit later in its life. And when I found out it was canceled, you know, instantly my mind goes to, Whoa, <laughs> you know, <laughs> are all the games going to be on sale? And yes, they were. Uh, and I remember like walking to the mall. I mean, sometimes almost daily or at least once a week, I'd be going there and just seeing, because everybody was trading in all their Dreamcast shit. And I'm like, well, I still have tons of games to play on this system. You know, why, why would I get rid of it? Uh, and I, I just, I remember Electronics Boutique at the time, this is before they were GameStop, uh, and this is in upstate New York. Electronics Boutique, you know, just had like this one large bin, and it was just all the Dreamcast games. And it got to a point where the guy, one, you know, one of the, the, the managers at Electronics Boutique, you know, when I'd come in, he's like, he would just say, clear the Dreamcast aisle. <laughs> Brian's here. And, uh, and he'd say, it's like, this guy's keeping the, keeping the Dreamcast alive on his own. <laughs> Cause I just, I, I mean, the games would cost nothing, you know, they cost anywhere from like two to 10 bucks, which that was really nothing, especially, you know, even in, in 2000, 2001. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I had a massive Dreamcast library. I played that system to death and largely because again, the games were so inexpensive. So you just scoop them up and buy them. I mean, even if you, you know, at those prices, you take the risk, right? It's like, well, this game and you, and the internet, you know, wasn't what it was today. Back then we didn't really have Metacritic or anything. You can't go and look up, Oh, is this game any good? You know, blah, blah, blah. You just had to buy and try, but you know, it, two to five to 10 bucks a game. Sure. Buy and try in a GameStop. I mean, I could always, and, and they knew it. Like I could go in there and just trade it in and pick up a different one. Uh, so, and not trade in and like get half value, trade it in, return it and, and just pick out a, a different game. It was an amazing time. Um, I, I mean, again, really, I played the shit out of that system. Uh, and it was such a smooth system, especially with a lot of what Sega did. And we're going to talk about that as we get into these, uh, into the games here. Uh, cause we got, we got to talk about this top eight. Um, it was a system, Yeah. Cause I, I don't have this on my top eight, but I, I kind of should. Um, the Virtua tennis series. Now this started tennis has always tennis has had a strange history in video gaming. I've always felt that tennis is one of the, it's a sport that has always translated in my opinion, really, really well to video games in, in any generation, you know, on the, even on Atari on the Atari 2600, uh, it, it was awesome. One of my favorite games on there was tennis. Um, and somehow, you know, like really Sega hit a piece of perfection when they started the Virtua tennis series, Virtua tennis one and Virtua tennis two on the dreamcast. I mean, I played the, I don't, I don't even like tennis, <laughs> you know? but I played those games to death. Like uh, hitting the bowling pins and everything with that was, was awesome. And, and it speaks to that when you get your, uh, uh, you know, game development to, to the level of art that it really doesn't matter what exactly the genre is of the game that you're making. I mean, people will just recognize the beauty of what you created. And I feel like Virtua tennis just had, I don't know, there's almost something peaceful about it. It was, it was it, but intense at the same time. And certainly, uh, man, what a, what a great, great series of games. What a great game. Uh, it's not on my list, but I, I just, I wanted to mention it because I can just remember being up at 7 a.m. I don't mean waking up at 7 a.m. I mean, staying up until 7 a.m. and just playing that to death. It, it, yeah. Dynamite unlockable characters, the whole thing. I mean, it was great. <laughs> anyway, uh, it would have been nice if Sonic showed up at some point, but whatever. So now that we have our, our bit of history uh, around the Sega Dreamcast, uh, why don't we get into our top eight and we're going to, you know, I tried to make this tried to make this something that, that has a, you know, a little bit, something a little bit different in it, but there's two that I think most people talk about, um, that, that I am going to bring up, uh, because you know, it, it'd be like, I don't know. It'd be like talking about the nest and not mentioning the legend of Zelda. Like, how dare you? You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just can't talk, you, you can't say those things without them being in the same breath. And we'll start off with not Sonic Adventure. Actually, there is not a single Sonic game on this list, which also speaks to that. Uh, you know, I get the, and we talked about this with the Saturn, how, you know, a lot of people say, well, there was no mainline, uh, or, you know, mainstream Sonic game on the Saturn. And that's why the Saturn failed. Nah, I mean, that's that, that I'm sure that played a part. Uh, but I don't think that that's the case because I think the Dreamcast's best showings had nothing to do with, with Sonic and, and look, Sonic adventure and Sonic adventure two were, were good games. You know, I'm, I'm not going to, and I know a lot of people actually don't even like them now, or maybe they like Sonic adventure two battle, but they're not so hot on the original Sonic adventure that Sonic adventure was awe inspiring at the time when it came out. Uh, people were really wild about that. Uh, I still think it's a very good game. Um, but it, it would not sit in my top eight. Also, it's a game that's been re-released on a million different platforms and there's plenty of ways to play it. And it's been, you know, fixed to a degree to where, you know, a lot of the little problems don't exist or some of the camera issues have been fixed and so on. Um, but no, let's start off with number one and number one, you know, as I always say, these top eights, if you're in the top eight, you're already the best. Uh, so it doesn't really matter what number, but 
is this the greatest game made for the Dreamcast? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, this is absolutely number one. And that is soul caliber. It comes up every time we talk about the Dreamcast, but there's a reason because in 1999, that was fucking unheard of for a console. Now I know the Neo Geo could emulate what was in your, you know, could, could bring the arcade experience home. That's fine. It brought the arcade experience home. The Neo Geo didn't improve the arcade experience. It just directly translated it. The Dreamcast bested one of the top arcade games at that time. And it bested it on your television at home. That's crazy. <laughs> like that, that was just, that was a technical fucking Marvel. That's why I say all the crap that, oh, well, PlayStation 2 does 20 million polygons and you, you know, or what, or no, that th- none of that matters. doesn't matter if, if the Dreamcast only did 6 million does not matter. It took on the arcade head on and won. If you were to ask me what killed the arcade. Now people wouldn't, I, I don't know how much people would argue this because, you know, home consoles become so powerful by that point that like, why do I go to the arcade? Yeah. But you gotta understand the final nail was when soul caliber looked better at home than it did in the fucking arcades. Crazy. Add into the fact that it's a great fighting game. One of the best of all time, smooth, gorgeous, plenty of unlockables, like all the things you want out of a fighting game, epic scale music. That's just, that'll fill the room. Uh, you know, I mean, and just, just everybody in the game's looking fantastic. It's a perfect game. It's an absolute, I mean, and, and I, I, you, I try to save, uh, my use of, of the word perfect when it comes to video games for only very special occasions. This is a perfect game. There have been other, you know, I mean, the soul caliber series goes on to this day. What are we up to six now? Uh, and certainly interesting things had been done with soul caliber two and so on. Um, but soul caliber, the first one really, I still think the two best are the original, uh, soul blade for, or soul edge, depending upon what region you're in for the PlayStation one. And then soul caliber for the PlayStation two. I like soul caliber two, particularly for the GameCube because you got to play as link. That was awesome. But uh, those first two were, were master classes in game development, design, uh, and playing just mind blowing. Um, my only, <laughs> I, I mean, you had maxi, right? Uh, the character of maxi in, in soul caliber two and the storylines in it were really cool too. Um, but when I found out Lee long wasn't in it, I was like, well, what, what, what the fuck? <laughs> That's my favorite character. <laughs> but Maxie was, was, was pretty good. Uh, you get Lee long later on in, in the series again, but regardless, uh, amazing, you know, and, and the dreamcast, I mean, for that to be there and ready for launch, at least in America, uh, was, was a winning move that should have been enough that I really feel like, I mean, and people might want to talk about Shenmue or something like that, but I really feel like soul caliber was if Sega were smart, they should have started, they should have tried. And I know they probably looked at mortal Kombat and said, well, mortal Kombat tried branching out into other, uh, you know, uh, video game genres and it didn't work right. Like mythologies or special forces, Shaolin monks and so on. Um, I think they should have, they should have, you know, just, just take, take those, took those characters, made a deal with Namco and ran. Uh, because that, I mean, everybody was talking about playing and just going crazy about that game. And the fact that they could keep playing it for free at home. Now, next game on the list. In fact, I'm kind of surprised at how many fighters are here. Um, a game that really should be on this list and that usually when people ask, okay, what was great on the dreamcast that has never been re-released? Usually people bring up this game first and it's not on my list. I'm going to put in another one, but just to talk about how great uh dreamcast was for fighting games. Um, but power stone two now power stone one and power stone two both came out on the dreamcast. Uh, these games are just loads of fun. Uh, Sega should, or well, actually I think Capcom owns them. This should be a smash brothers alternative, uh, because we need a smash brothers alternative. And as good as Kirby fighters two is, and it is, 
and I'll play that frankly till I die before I'll play super, uh, before I play smash brothers, but <laughs> well, you never know, right? Some great character might come into smash brothers. Just that community drives me insane. Um, but power stone should be a competitor. I- I'm, I'm baffled by this, that there aren't more power stone games, regardless that that could easily be on this list. It's just, an, it's one that everybody kind of points at. So I don't, I, I didn't include it here for that reason. Kind of similar to why I didn't mention uh, or why, you know, Sonic Adventure isn't on the list, but yes, Power Stone 2 is a tremendous, I mean, and, and you can get into, you know, cause it's more than two players. I mean, you just get into wild action on those games or on that game. Um, but the fighter I'm actually going to include here is kind of a rarer one. Um, and it's heavy metal geomatrix. And it's from 2001 probably didn't do so well because it came out late in the life of the dreamcast basically just around the time that uh, it would end up uh, getting canceled. Fortunately, it did get released. Unlike half-life, there were games that that were, you know, announced. And in fact, they even put strategy guides in stores um, for games that were going to come out for the dreamcast that never came out because Sega canceled, uh, you know, the, the dreamcast itself, uh, half-life was one of those, but heavy metal geomatrix did come out. It's a 3d fighter. Um, I mean, you know, very similar to your Tekkens or even soul calibers. I mean, there's weapons, all kinds of crazy shit in it. What really puts this over the top has a great design. The story is your typical, you know, heavy metal fare and heavy metal as in, you know, the, the magazine, right. Which, you know, like the two movies came from and so on. Um, if you're a heavy metal fan, you know exactly what you're getting here. And what was amazing about it was really the soundtrack. And because the soundtrack was absolutely heavy metal. Uh, Megadeth was on the soundtrack. Um, Rob Helford, of course, of Judas Priest is on the soundtrack. You can find the soundtrack out there to download. Uh, it's a, it's a killer soundtrack and it just, it just upped the action so much to have. I mean, I could see at the time that like a lot of, uh, uh, younger folk maybe wouldn't have appreciated the music that was on offer in this game, but you mix in because this is, this is, you know, the Xbox wasn't a thing yet where we talked about the feature that you could, you know, play your own music and games, even though that was kind of limited. Uh, this was, this is, this might be one of the best, if not the best like game soundtracks with licensed music, uh, ever, you know, as in not original music to the game, uh, just a, just a, a kick-ass track list. And to have that play, like, I mean, as soon as you're, you know, pounding somebody down, listening to Rob Helford, it's on. <laughs> I mean, that, that was, that was, that was a no small thing in, even in 2001. Um, and yeah, I know you could just play the music on your stereo independent from the console, but it was different. It really, when it was in the game, it just, I don't know. It just worked. Uh, really, really impressive. I, I love the game and it, and it was a good looking game at the time too. So heavy metal geomatrix at number two, uh, number three. Yeah, we'll put it in, uh, Jack Ryan radio. Uh, <laughs> I really, oh, I'm tempted, uh, to, to put something else here, but we're going to go with it. Number three, Jack Ryan radio. What can be said about this game that hasn't already been said a billion times? Um, you know, so a lot of people don't know this about me. Uh, I, well, actually now I hope a lot of people know this about me because I've mentioned it here and there on Sovereign Tech. Uh, and I don't say this as a boast, but it might as well be. Um, I am a award-winning like medal winning, um, championship roller skater. And I'm, I'm not joking. <laughs> I know, I know you see me in real life maybe. And you're like, you know, what, <laughs> it's like, what's Hulk Hogan doing over there? No, <laughs> whatever you think. I don't know. But what's that big guy doing over there? And yes, uh, I can fly on a pair of skates. And there, while there have been games, I mean, I could think of, what was it, like Roller Jam or whatever, I don't know, or Roller Games. Um, th- there have been games that have included roller skating uh, in them. This was a game where, like, you really had that freeform motion on roller skates. They were really like jet skates, but regardless, you know, it was the same, same concept. Uh, you know, and the music was so cool in it and, and really weird and just the art style, the cell shading, that was a fairly new trick at the time. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a must play experience. Uh, and it's another one where Sago, what are you doing? 
make more of these games. <laughs> it's not even hard to, you know, to, you could just copy what you've already done and people would be fucking happy, you know, just give us more levels, just think them out. And, uh, anyway, um, this is a must play experience, um, on the dreamcast and it's just as good as its sequel jets at radio future on the original Xbox. Um, but it, yeah, it, it, it is an experience. And in America, I mean, there was just, there was nothing else like it similar to say like space channel five. Now space channel five has been made available, um, on other systems. Of course that originally started on the dreamcast, but I'd be remiss without, you know, this didn't get ported onto, I mean, now it's like on PC, you can play it even on your smartphone at one point. I mean, it was kind of all over the place. Uh, but the, just a brilliant, brilliant fucking, you know, just gorgeous game. Uh, so let's move on. Let's go to number four. And in fact, this is funny because it's another fighter. Um, and the fighter is project justice from the year 2000. This is a sequel. One of a few where oddly some sequels to PlayStation one games ended up and they weren't Sega properties ended up on the dreamcast. You would think they would have ended up on, on the PlayStation two, but it didn't happen. Uh, Project Justice is a fighting 3D fighting game, and it is the sequel to kind of what you could call a underground hit, maybe even a sleeper hit um, on the PlayStation one, that being uh, Rival Schools. Rival Schools is, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's not that different from, say, a Tekken, but the storyline in it uh, that deals around you know, these competing high schools, not an uncommon, uh, storyline in Japanese, uh, fiction, regardless of, of medium. Um, it's it, like, it, it's, it's a really, really cool storyline. And the, you know, some of the ways, like the unique ways that the combos work in it and everything, they are really cool games, but it all comes down to the storylines and the characters. And I, and I just, I, I love rival schools. Uh, and project justice. I don't, ironically, I don't think it looks as good. <laughs> I mean, yes, it has more polygons. Sure. But I don't think it looks as cool as I guess maybe that's what I should say. It doesn't look as cool as the PlayStation as rival schools on PlayStation one, but project justice as a sequel is a, tr is a full on sequel storyline continues and everything. And it's basically the only continuation of the storyline that you get. Um, and fighters with, actually really impressive storylines are fairly rare. It's part of the reason that soul caliber, uh, or, you know, that whole series has, I think, you know, stuck. Um, I mean, Tekken has a storyline, you know, yeah, I know mortal Kombat, street fighter has them. They all have storylines, but their executions, a different story and rival schools does a really fantastic job of executing the story and sticking more or less with one storyline, uh, as well. So, probably want to check that out. Uh, that's a rare one that I don't think a lot of people remember, you know, quick, I'll just mention it. Another rare one. And where it's a case of the original came out on PlayStation one, and then the sequel would end up coming out on dreamcast and not get released anywhere else. In fact, this is a game just like project justice. I don't think it's ever been re-released. Uh, and that's plasma sword, um, nightmare of Bilstein plasma sword is a sequel to a game called star gladiator on the PlayStation one, uh, by Capcom. And I mean, you're basically a character with like a lightsaber more or less. And it, it, it's, it's a really, really cool, like 3d action game. Um, and plasma sword, which is the sequel to star gladiator just delivered on all fronts of that. You can play the lead character, um, from star gladiator. I think they're in like the Marvel versus Capcom games. Uh, I think he shows up at some point, but Anyway, uh, of course that's a game that could easily be on here too, is uh, Marvel versus Capcom two that would get released on other systems, but that was a major, major, uh, coup for the dreamcast at the time. I mean, just to have that awesome tag team action, uh, and, and that roster, I mean, the roster was just insane, um, on that game, but you know, I mentioned lightsabers, so let's move on, <laughs> but plasma sword, check that out. Um, let's move on to something that this was a re-release not a sequel to a PlayStation one game, but a re-release of a PlayStation one game that might as well be an entirely other game. And that is star Wars episode one, Jedi power battles. See what I did there with the lightsaber. 
Jedi Power Battles is a fine game on the PlayStation 1. On the Dreamcast, it's a whole other beast. A, the graphics are significantly improved. Uh, because here's the thing is that, so Jedi Power Battles is kind of this weird, it's not, a, not really a side-scrolling beat-em-up, but sort of. Uh, but it's not using like drawn, you know, characters like say a streets of rage or something, um, or, you know, we're, we're more two dimensional. It's far more a three dimensional experience. And that lends to all kinds of problems. Like where you're supposed to land on a conveyor belt and you end up jumping off the side because of the 3d and the cameras, just things are very small on the screen. And when you have a, in this case, when you have a low polygon count, it becomes an issue on the dreamcast. That issue is solved, but more importantly, this is ironically, as we've been talking about this whole time, this is another great fighting game on the dreamcast. It's not billed as a fighting game. If you play it on the PlayStation one, it's not a fighting game, but when you play it on the dreamcast, there's a whole other element, kind of like uh, how some of the double dragon games, depending upon what system you play them on, will have a mode where you can just do combat between the different characters in double dragon. Uh, instead of doing the side scrolling beat em up, same thing happened with P Jedi power battles for dreamcast where you could just pick Plo Koon and take on Mace Windu. And you have these, uh, you know, varying arenas that you can fight within. And that's what was great. PlayStation one doesn't even have that mode. That mode sold the whole game because you basically had a true star Wars fighting game, lightsabers and all that masters of Terrace couldn't even dream of being phenomenal. <laughs> this is, and never, never re-released, never re-released. I mean, the PlayStation one version is fine too, but it does not have the, the, the almost infinite replayability that uh Jedi power battles does. I would almost argue that the fighting action in it, it's not as good as like Jedi Academy on PC, but for what it is, it's pretty damn good. I mean, it's a lot of fun uh, to, to do that. Reminds me of, I mean, and this is something else that's actually available on the Dreamcast, uh, which was only otherwise originally available on the N64, and that is San Francisco Rush 2049. That's a game where, okay, it's a great racing game, but where it's really great is when you get into battle mode, and that's when the game goes through the roof. Uh, that is a boy, you know, if you don't have like the midway arcade treasures series or anything, uh, that includes San Francisco rush 2049, or if you don't have an N64, the dreamcast is a solid way. And it was the way that we might, me and my buddies played it the most at the time, uh, is the way to play that fucking game. You've got to play San Francisco rush 2049. If you never have, uh, talk about perfect game, perfect game. <laughs> but it's, I mean, again, the racing game is awesome itself and it's really cool. Very futuristic. All that's a lot of fun doing all the loop de loops and everything is great. But the, the battle mode is, I mean, you won't stop. You just, you'll keep playing. It'll turn 4am and you had no idea. I mean, that's just, that's how that's going to go. Uh, but that's, that's another one of those cases where, okay, like, yeah, there's the main game, but then there's that other mode of the game that, Ooh, no, that's where it's all at, you know, and Jedi power battles is, is a similar uh, case uh, as far as that goes. Now <laughs> I should have put Jack Ryan radio somewhere else, or I should have put something else in there, but there, there is something I do want to talk about that I was tempted to put in the place of Jack Ryan radio, but I'll get to that at the end. Uh, let's go to number six, number six. Look around, look around. It's another fighting game. <laughs> really? I, I mean, I don't know why people don't talk about this more. The amount of fighting games that the Dreamcast had, I mean, especially some exclusives were nuts, nuts. This one, in fact, is exceptionally rare. Uh, in fact, when I did my Saturn top eight, its predecessor uh, was on that list. Um, that being virtual fighter remix, virtual fighter three, but not just virtual fighter three, virtual fighter three TB. It was another case where it competed with what was in arcades, but it one upped the whole situation by turning virtual fighter into a team battle game. Uh, this would end up coming out in 99. It was a launch title, wildly popular in Japan. I don't know why it didn't take off in America so much, but virtual fighter three TB and the TB part is important. I mean, virtual fighter three is great too, but the TB part, the team battle, like 
they changed a lot of the finishers. It was a, almost like a totally new game and the team element. The only game I could think of that, that comes close and yeah, there's tech and tag tournament, but, and certainly, like I said, Capcom versus Marvel had that team element to it. Uh, the only thing I can really compare it to, because it was so pick up and play like vir the virtual fighter series had been early on in comparison, I would say to like your street fighters and mortal combats, it was so pick up and play. Uh, the only thing I can compare it to is like power Rangers battle for the grid, which is a recent game for modern consoles. Um, but it, it's in that vein where, and where the team action just flows so nicely and, and allows for, or, you know, you could compare it to like a Capcom versus Marvel and they probably copied that, uh, that style, uh, but they, they did it to great effect and in 3d, which is also very rare, like real 3d, uh, awesome. <laughs> and it's virtual fighter. So, you, I mean, you know what you're getting there, but, uh, that, that was, that was a lot of fun launch title. I don't think it maybe it wasn't a launch title in America or no, it was a launch title in America, but it, I, I, I it just, for whatever reason, it didn't pick up. Maybe everybody was just playing soul caliber, which I can completely understand. Um, let's go on to number seven. And then we got one more after that. Uh, number seven is, uh, another one. This is a game that ends up if anybody ever does like top 10, like weirdest games list, you know, like they'll have LSD dream emulator or something like that on, on such lists. This is one that'll end up on those often enough. And that is nine or yeah. 1999's Seaman, not Seaman, Seaman. <laughs> this, this was an odd duck. Uh, <laughs> this, I bought it. Um, sight unseen, even though you look at the back of the box and it was a big box because it came with uh, a microphone uh, uh, adapter to, you know, that they had the microphone on it, that, that, or extension, you could call it, I guess that plugged into the controller because you had to speak to this creature. You were basically like training a creature like this fish in the water that had a human face, which is why it's called Seaman, I guess. So you're in this lab and you're like, you're, you're talking to this and you just watch this fish go around and talk and do whatever else. And you talk back to it and you, you know, the, the goal is to like have this thing evolve. It's very, very strange game. I bought it sight unseen because I found out that the fish was, uh, uh, voiced by Leonard Nimoy. And I said, you know, if grandpa's going to be a fish, <laughs> I'm on. <laughs> it's hard to explain, like go on YouTube and, and look up, you know, gameplay videos of people playing this game. It's fucking weird, but it's also like, I don't want to call it hypnotic, but like, it's, it's just strangely enjoyable. Uh, very, I don't think, I mean, actually I found out, I did not know this. I found out this fairly recently that there was a sequel made, which I can't believe. Cause I just, I cannot imagine this game sold well. Uh, but there was a sequel made called Seaman two for, uh, for the PlayStation two. Now it was only released in Japan. Nobody's done any, uh, and I don't even know how this would work because I'm sure the fish in Japan would want you to speak Japanese. So unless you know Japanese, you're kind of screwed probably in getting able to, to really play this, even if somebody like put subtitles on it somehow. Uh, but I'm amazed that there was a second one. Uh, I'd love to play it. I've seen it in action. It looks just as wild, a little bit more enhanced. I recommend checking that out as well. Uh, but these are the kinds of games that came out of really the fifth and sixth generation of consoles where people were experimenting. Okay. What can we do with these 3d worlds? We perfected largely what we can do with a 2d world, though many would argue that actually the 2d world wasn't perfected until Stardew Valley came out, which, Hey, I hear you. Um, but what do we do with these 3d worlds? Yeah. The games industry was figuring out. So there's a lot of experimentation and you end up with these insane things like Seaman. So go look it up. <laughs> you got to see it to believe it. Uh, but it, it, it's something that has to be on this list. Uh, number eight. So I uh, know it's not another fighting game. It could be, uh, I mean, cause you had, fuck, you had fighting vipers too. Like I said, you had Marvel versus Capcom too. You had ready, uh, ready to rumble boxing. Those games were awesome at the time. Uh, could have easily been on there. I'm going to put in a racer. Now it's not, we already mentioned San Francisco rush 2049. That could have been on here. Hydro thunder got an independent release on the dreamcast as well. Arguably it's best home release that could have been on here as well. 
Um, but I'm going to go with Sega GT, which came out in 2000. And this is going to lead into a little bit of a larger conversation. Uh, Sega GT was basically virtual racing perfected. Uh, even though I think virtual racing was already pretty perfect. Um, even if, even in its low polygon count, uh, as I've said often, I feel like that always made it seem a lot more futuristic and just it gave an, an aesthetic that, it was just always really cool and lived up to the Virtua. Uh, but Sega GT, this, I mean, this was the game because, you know, for people that actually did play the Saturn, um, Daytona USA on the Saturn was one of the real hot tickets on that system in America anyway. And Sega GT, I kind of feel like was the real successor to what Daytona USA uh, had done. And it, it is a slick, slick racer. Um, I think it's personally, I think it's better than Ridge racer. Uh, it did not go to the levels of like say Gran Turismo, but it's, you know, it certainly had its place. Uh, I mean, racing games would get to a whole other level when you get into like need for speed, most wanted and carbon, um, or, you know, the midnight club games and so on. I mean, it would turn into a whole other thing but your more traditional straight shooter, let's get to the racing games. I feel like Sega GT was really a piece of perfection. Uh, and I'm disappointed that this is a game that hasn't been really re-released anywhere. And, you know, I mean, it's one of those, you know, easy to pick up, difficult to master. It's one of those, one of those kinds of games, but just tons and tons of fun had four player, which was nice. Cause the dreamcast of course had four ports, uh, stock for, for controllers, uh, great soundtrack. Everything about it was cool. Uh, even the customization options were, were really, really cool. Didn't get as nutty as Gran Turismo. And I don't say that with disrespect. Just when you start playing a Gran Turismo game, you know, you're in it for life. And Sega GT, you didn't have to be in it for life. Uh, and so I, yeah, I, I really, I, I love this game. Um, and again, it's sadly one that that's never really been ported, uh, nor has ever really had a, a really top tier sequel, I feel, or a, a sequel that got treated um, with as much respect. So that's our top eight. Um, but we want to talk about some, some of Sega's other ventures into sports here in a second. Uh, so you have number one, soul caliber, number two, heavy metal geo matrix, number three, jet grind radio, number four, project justice, number five, star Wars, episode one, Jedi power battles, uh, star Wars racer, by the way, episode one racer was on dreamcast. And for a long time, that was like the best looking version of it. But continuing, uh, number six is virtual fighter three TB, uh, number seven, Seaman, and number eight, Sega GT. Now Sega, after having issues with securing, um, like say the Madden games, um, or some other popular, uh, EA series of, of sports games, which whether I like it or not, and actually there's some sports games I really like, uh, kind of like I mentioned, virtual tennis, um, you know, you, to be a successful console, you have to have sports games. You know, you have to have that football game. You have to have that basketball game. You have to whatever. Okay. Sega decided, well, if we can't get anybody on board, we'll make our own. And they basically started the entire 2k series. Uh, they, they started the whole, you know, uh, like NFL 2000, NFL 2001, and so on. And these games were real advancements in what was possible in a football or basketball game, even just on the customization options. The fact that you could create your own teams, you could do all these other wild things and like really get knee deep. I mean, you know, I've talked about like SmackDown 2, how that was such a great wrestling game because of the customization. The, the Sega 2K games, we'll call them, uh, sports games for the Dreamcast were like SmackDown 2, where the levels of customization were phenomenal and the presentation overall was great. It's it's reminiscent to me because now like a lot of those features are commonplace in, you know, an EA series and so on. It's reminiscent to me of like how the XFL, which I know is coming back and the rock owns it, but how the XFL, you know, came out with all these interesting innovations for playing football and everybody laughed at them at the time, but then the NFL ends up copying them, you know, 10 years later, right. In the real world. Uh, I feel like this is the same case where everybody basically, uh, like laughed at what Sega did initially, and they just had to make differentiating games. And so they went that distance and then 
they ended up copying them later on, especially after the Dreamcast tanked. But of course, you know, the 2K series would kind of go on. Uh, but people forget about this, this little slice of history, just how the Dreamcast, if you are a sports game fan and they took this seriously, they even released like a Sega sports edition of the Dreamcast. It was all black. It was really cool. Uh, they knew they had a winner on their hands with this. Uh, just not enough people, you know, there was just that brand recognition of Madden 2000 or Madden 2001 or whatever that wouldn't get it over the hump. But these games are the, the Sega 2k sports games are infinitely better than anything that was coming out at the time, other than maybe what Midway was doing with their more extreme sports games, uh, like, you know, NFL blitz and so on. Um, yeah, that was a brilliant move and people do not give those games the really the credit they deserve. And I'm not even really a sports guy, uh, but I, I can appreciate like, and in fact, I even wanted to play like my buddy of mine, uh, at the time, uh, he and I, we wanted to play, uh, you know, the Sega sports like football games, because we love the fact that we could make our own teams like, Oh, this is cool. You know? <laughs> and I mean, that it was, um, Man, anyway, so there's so many games that I could bring up in here. Uh, the sports games, by the way, were what I was thinking of putting in instead of Jack Grind or instead of Jet Set Radio. But um, but I, I talked about them anyway. Uh, there are some, you know, there are some great gun games that existed for this. Of course, House of the Dead, House of the Dead 2, like we mentioned, Virtual Cop 2, um, other great fighters like Fighting Vipers 2. Uh, in fact, this is, it's not the only system to have a KISS game, but probably the best KISS, and I mean the band, game ever was originally released. Uh, I think it also came out on PC, but it was originally re released on the Dreamcast, that being uh, Kiss Psycho Circus, The Nightmare Child in 2000. Um, I mean, Bom Bomberman Online, you know, some of the online games that you were able to take advantage of for, for many for the first time uh, with, with the Dreamcast were, you know, unbelievable. I mean, there's, there really are plenty of games that I couldn't even begin to list off on here uh, that are worth your time to look into. Uh, and it's interesting too, that, you know, some games that got ported to the Dreamcast ended up being wildly superior to any other system that they were on. Uh, and that doesn't always happen, but this is a case where really it did, um, skies of Arcadia. You know, let me, let me mention that because like I said, there's an argument to be made next to like radiant historia that I think it's the greatest RPG ever made. Um, skies of Arcadia, they did end up re-releasing that for the GameCube as skies of Arcadia legends skies of Arcadia legends is the best way to play that game. If you only have a dreamcast, you don't want a GameCube fine play skies of Arcadia on your dreamcast. Go ahead and rock the little mini games in the VMU. You're in for a great time. Um, that could easily be the number one on this list, but I just, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say no, you're going to get a much better experience and a richer experience, even though it's already great on the GameCube. So you might want to try it there, but anyway, there is a nice encapsulating look at the Sega dreamcast, the last of the Babylon state. No, <laughs> the last of the Sega consoles ultimately. Uh, and I mean, yeah, I know everybody has been wishing for a long time that Sega would just come back in and I don't know, knock everybody, you know, knock everybody's socks off. Sadly, I don't think we live in that world anymore because now we're to the point where consoles don't even really matter. Um, there has been, there have been, there's like talk, right? Like SNK is looking at coming out with a new console and we don't mean like a Neo Geo mini. We mean like they're coming out with a new Neo Geo. So like some, 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 I don't know, some Arabic billionaire, uh, put a, I, and literally I, like, I think he's out of Saudi Arabia or something. Um, he ended up buying a controlling stock in SNK. So weird. Uh, I mean, that's fine. You know, and I know, look, look, I've been to the middle East. I mean, they, they play video games like anybody else. Uh, it's just kind of surprising. And, <laughs> uh, and, and I know they're talking about coming out with a new console. Um, I mean, I appreciate that there's people wanting to take the risk right now when it looks like the entire industry is going towards you know, streaming services basically for games. Um, we'll have to see. I'd love it if Sega, you know, came out of nowhere, but I, I just, I don't, and it's not just because of COVID. I just, I don't think we live, sadly, I don't think we live in that world anymore. Um, where, you know, we're, we're a 
you could get, you could come in with triple a games and you could be, you know, the console that everybody's talking about. We're just not in that age. Um, there's a time where I think they could have done it, but I do think that that time has passed and it's, and it's sad. I wish they would re-release, re-release a mini Saturn, re-release a mini dreamcast. Like by all means, take advantage uh, of your history. I really wish they would do that. Why they don't, I don't know. Especially like I said, when they will come out with the weirdest little shit, uh, mini consoles, like the Astro six, whatever else and it's like, wait, 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 <laughs> You could do so much more money <laughs> with, with a far less complex release. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. But as I also said at the top, this is a system that's very easy to get your hands on and to, you know, get into like, you know, install a mode in it and you can download the disc images and have the day uh, and, you know, have it rocking for a long time. Cause it's, you know, the number one part that goes bad is the, uh, you know, is the optical disc uh, uh, drive. So don't have to worry about that anymore. So I recommend it. This is a system worthwhile having in your, in your home arsenal of video game consoles or arsenal of video game history. Um, I have a small one myself, and if you wanted to get started, this isn't a bad place to start. So the Sega Dreamcast, that's it. That's your top eight. And uh, we'll be back with more gaming grid specials, more specials, and of course, more sovereign tech to come. I'll see all of you woo, on the other side. Game over. So what do you use your computer for? Oh, you use it for creative projects? Whatever happened to plain old pencil and paper? I mean, what happens to your masterpiece when the power goes off? Food for thought. 